0: Let's pray together. Father, we are gathered here today because people who came before us obeyed the Lord Jesus and they carried out this great commission that he charged his followers to be engaged in. And the gospel came even as far as us. And Lord, We pray that you'd make us faithful. We pray that you would cause us to hear the words of the apostle Paul this morning and feel a new zeal in our hearts to, to share the gospel, perhaps to go to the nations, definitely to be about the task of sending and supporting and inviting Lord, we pray that you would put into us an urgency in response to the fact that you are just, in response to the fact that hell lasts forever, and in response to the fact that Jesus is such a great savior. Lord, we ask that you do these things for us by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the working of your word, In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. I would invite you to open this morning to Romans chapter 15, and we will be continuing here in Romans with verses 14 through 21. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can be opening to Romans 15, verses 14 through 21. If you don't have a copy, there's probably one in the pew rack in front of you. I'd love for you to grab that and follow along in the text. What we're looking at this morning is the Apostle Paul's response to the most important commission given by the most important person who has ever lived. And the Apostle Paul's response to the Lord Jesus and the Great Commission results in this most important letter that has ever been written. And we're just looking at a portion of it this morning. If you've been with us, you know that Paul has marched the Romans through the gospel. He he started in Romans 3 with uh, the, the great need that all human beings have, lost in our, in our sin and trespass, and then at the end of chapter 3, he details the way that God put Christ forward as a sacrifice of propitiation, and then he discusses salvation by faith in Romans 4, and then uh, this new life that we have by the power of the Spirit in Romans 5-8, through 8. and then he deals with election and the nation of Israel in Romans 9-11, through 11, before calling Christians to offer their bodies as living sacrifices in 12, 1 and 2. And then having detailed what the Christian life should look like uh, through chapter 12, he starts dealing with uh, tensions in the church in Rome in chapters 13 and 14. And these tensions arise from the fact that you've got some people who are Gentiles and you've got other people who, who are Jewish, and they have differing tolerance levels for uh, the changes that have come about as a result of the coming of the Lord Jesus. And now Paul has worked through all of that, and he gets to this part of the letter, and look at these words, and, and before I read these words, let me just remind you that he's been talking about, about all of these tensions in the church in Rome. So he, he's, a, he's a Turkish Jew writing to Italian Christians who, uh, some of them come from Jerusalem, some of them come from various parts of Italy. They're from all over the place. There are probably some Greeks there. They're from all different kinds of backgrounds, all nations, we're, we're, we can say. And, and they have differences, about we've, we've seen, about what they should eat and what days they should rest. And Paul has been addressing these differences. And then look at what he says in verse 14. He says, I myself am satisfied about you my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. I want you to just step back from that and think about how remarkable that is. Evidently, things were so tense in Rome that Paul had heard about their differences. There were such theological disagreements in Rome some people thinking Jesus had declared all foods clean. Some people probably not very happy about other people claiming that. And, and it had gotten to the point that even though Paul had never been to Rome, he had heard about these theological disagreements. And then he can say this, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Where does that confidence come from? That confidence comes from Paul's understanding of the gospel. Paul knows that the gospel actually changes people. Paul knows that the work of the Holy Spirit, when when somebody is born again, when they are regenerated, when the Holy Spirit takes up residence within them, changes start happening. And goodness is going to prevail because God's at work now. So in spite of all the difficulties that he's heard about, in spite of all the disagreements that he's been addressing for two chapters, Paul is ready to say, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. I don't think he's satisfied because he's gotten word that everybody is fully on the same page now. I don't think he's satisfied because the, the weak have, he's gotten a report that the weak are suddenly strong now. No, I think he's satisfied and he's confident That these people truly believe in Jesus, and that's really going to change them. I think that's where his his confidence comes from. So as we look at this passage this morning, um, we have an opportunity to respond to what Paul says here. As I said a moment ago, this is Paul's response to, to the most important commission from the most important person who has ever lived and, and it makes me think of this, this uh, book that I'm listening to about Bill Belichick, the, uh, the coach of the New England Patriots. Where are the Watsons? I, I, don't, even, I don't even see John and Jessica. Now, there's, there's Drew. Um, almost this book persuades me to be a Patriots fan. It's, it's really a great book. There's, there's, a, there's a remarkable uh, story in this book of the way that, um, as Bill Belichick was was trying to acquire this highly-touted, highly-sought-after free agent in the NFL. Um, they, they brought this guy up to New, New England to look at the facility. And on most—this guy was being wined and dined and, and feted by all the NFL teams. And in most cases, you know, he's picked up at the airport by a limousine, and then he's brought to the, the facility, the Patriots facility, and they've got all the lights on, they've got all the people there to greet him, and, and they really try to persuade him that this is where you want to be, not the Patriots— The Patriots picked him up from the airport in a Ford Taurus. And uh, he was picked up by like an intern from the team. They drove him to the the facility. All the lights are off. Nobody's there. They show him him around, and then he sits down with Belichick. And Belichick says to him, we're doing something great here. We're going to win championships, and you can be part of it. And that's the offer. That's the offer. And and sort of an imitation of that, I want to say to you people here today, Something's, something great is happening here. We're about the Great Commission. We're about the gospel going to all nations, and you can be part of it. We're about the word of salvation, the only salvation possible for mankind. Going to the ends of it, going to places that have not heard, and you can be part of it. We're about somebody far more important than Bill Belichick. We're about the Lord Jesus having told his disciples to go make disciples. Jesus told his disciples to go, and that's why we're going. That's why we're sending. That's why we're supporting. That's why we're inviting. And so I I just want to urge you all not to take your eye off the ball. This is what Christ told us to do. Christ told us to be about this. So, So going, you know, I just want to urge you this morning to consider how you would feel if you stood before God and you knew nothing of Christ. You had never heard of Jesus. You had never heard that God had had taken on flesh, God had sent his son, who had lived this perfectly righteous life, and then suffered and died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin, and now you're going to approach the throne of God, and you're going to give an account For your life. How would you feel? And then let's say that. Perhaps as you're there. You learn. About the fact that Jesus did these things. How would you feel? This is why we're going. This is why we're sending. And on the point of sending here. I would just urge you again. To be thinking about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It's going to be December next month. And. And the, the offering that is taken up for the International Mission Board, uh, it funds half of that mission board's, the offering that's taken up in December funds half of the mission board's uh, uh, budget for the entire year. So I would urge you to seek the Lord in response to the fact that there are people living and dying right now who have never heard the gospel. How would the Lord have you contribute to that, that mission, to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering supporting maybe you're in a small group maybe your small group has adopted a missionary one of the missionaries that's gone out from our congregation let me let me encourage you to take that seriously And let me encourage you to do everything you can to build a relationship with that missionary, whether by FaceTiming them, whether by regularly texting or emailing them. When they come in town, pretty soon another one's going to be passing through Louisville. You can go out of your way to show them attention. You can go out of your way to invite them over to your home. You can go out of your way to to communicate to them, we really do care for you. We really do believe that the gospel saves, and that you are going into the field to offer this message of salvation. And we're part of that as your church. We're part of supporting you, and we want you to feel strong there. We don't want you to feel lonely. We want you to go confident that your, your brothers and sisters in the congregation are praying for you, and we want you to be ready to do the work that God has called you to do there. Inviting. 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 You know, one of the reasons that we're we're trying to uh, renovate some bathrooms down over under the way there is so that this will be a, a an easier place to invite people to, and and a place that we hope that people will come to and they'll feel welcome, they'll feel comfortable, and and they'll feel like, hey, these people are about the mission. That that's that's why we want to invite people here. That's why we want to contribute to this building fund. We we this is all connected to this great charge, this great. Commission that the Lord Christ has given to us. So, here in Romans 15, verses 14 through 16, what we're really seeing is the big job, the great task. This is, and, and I think what we're seeing also is the joy of the great task. Think about the, the staggering dimensions of this commission go make disciples of all nations. And he's got these 12 nobodies that he says this to. You guys who don't have educations, who don't have frequent flyer accounts, you you don't even have automatic transportation of any kind, but you guys, I'm sending you to make disciples of all nations. That's what the Lord Jesus does. And then they're about this great work. And Paul can say to these Christians in Rome, he can say this because of the power of the gospel. He can say this because of what Romans 1.16 says when he says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. He says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Contrast that with Romans 1.29. Do, do you remember those statements early in the book of Romans? Listen to Romans 1.29, talking about unbelievers, unregenerate people. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. That's where idolaters are. And because of the gospel, these former idolaters have gone from being filled with all manner of unrighteousness to Paul saying, I'm confident about you. I'm satisfied about you that you're filled with all full of all goodness. And those of us who know the Lord Jesus, we know that's our testimony, too. We were we were selfish. We were greedy. We were lustful. We were we were just given over to our sin. And then the light broke through. And the heart changed happened full of all goodness filled with all knowledge from our ignorance and able to instruct one another you know what you know what this is coming from right this is coming from the new covenant because christ has come and died on the cross the law has been written on the hearts of his people and they need no one to instruct them they need no one to say to them know the lord they all know him jeremiah 31 and then they're also all, they don't need a priestly class, they're all able to communicate to one another the truths of the gospel. So Paul is really celebrating, in Romans 15 verse 14, the new covenant that Christ has inaugurated. This weekend I, I, I read a, a review of a, a book that was describing the change in Roman values once the gospel came. And, and the way that this guy illustrated the change that happened once the gospel came into the Roman world, he illustrated it by alluding to the end of Virgil's Aeneid. At the end of Virgil's Aeneid, and, and this is one of those documents that reflects the culture. It's a great work of art. It reflects what people value, what people esteem. And the hero of that book, Aeneas, what he does at the end of that book is he, he's at war And he commits a violent act of war. He he murders someone in his rage. And this is what they celebrate. This is is what what they memorialize in a work of art that is read and studied down to this very day. And then the gospel comes. And all of a sudden, Rome becomes a place where that's not what's depicted in the art. What's depicted in the art is a crucified messiah who laid down his life for others, having washed their feet, who instructed people to turn the other cheek. It's it's a radical transformation that's described here. How do we apply verse 14 to our lives before we move on to verse 15? Let me encourage you to trust God regarding other Christians. You know, there's there's a... a lot of um, righteous indignation communicated in our culture, particularly on things like social media. A lot, of, a lot of disapproval of other Christians. Let me encourage you to look at what the Apostle Paul says about Roman Christians here, and, and to say, I'm going to trust the Lord regarding other believers. I'm going to take care of my plot. I'm going to take care of what's under my responsibility. Somebody in my church, they commit sin, they need to be rebuked. I'll do that. I'm going to be faithful where I'm at, and then I'm going to trust the Lord. And, and really, that's Paul. In this letter, he's addressing things that the Romans need to change. He's doing it in an appropriate way. We're about to get more about that. He's communicating his sincere love and concern for them. And, and he's communicating true uh, theological ideas to them. And then he says, I'm going to trust God about you guys. And I'm going to believe that the Holy Spirit's going to have his way. Look at verse 15. He says, but on some points, so I'm, I'm satisfied about you, verse 14, but on some points, verse 15, I have written to you very boldly. And he has, hasn't he? He's, he's warned them not to destroy the brother for whom Christ died by their exercise of their freedoms. He said things like that to them. I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. The reason that I asked that Romans 1 be read earlier is because of the way that in Romans 1, 5, Paul speaks of how through Christ, and when he says we, he really means himself, have received grace and apostleship. So I think when he says here in Romans fifteen, 15 I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God, he means because God gave me grace and made me an apostle, I have written this letter speaking boldly into your life. So what we see from the Apostle Paul here is a faithful exercising of the authority that the grace of God gave to him. And and so in a way, what Paul is doing is his job. He's doing exactly what the Lord commissioned him to do as an apostle. And I would just encourage you to be inspired by his example, to do your job. Be faithful where you're at. Recognize who the Lord has made you. Recognize what role you have. And then do your job for the glory of God, for the good of other Christians. And then look at verse 16. Paul says, because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And I just want to observe here how often the word Gentiles occurs through this stretch. So back in verse verse 9, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then later in that verse, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. Verse 10, rejoice, O Gentiles. Verse 11, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Verse 12, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And now Paul is saying that God appointed him to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Now, I think what he means here when he speaks of the priestly service of the gospel of God is that he is communicating the gospel to people who haven't heard it. This is is what he understands to be his role. Not that he's offering sacrifices. Christ has been crucified once for all. Rather, that he is the, the mediator between God and these Gentiles in particular who have not heard the gospel. And his role is to, like a priest communicate the knowledge of the gospel to these Gentiles. So that, he goes on to say in verse uh, 16 here, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. Now that phrase could be interpreted in a a number of different ways. You you could say, I think this would be wrong, but you could say Paul is speaking of the way that he's going to offer the Gentiles up to God. I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think when when he says so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, he means an offering that the Gentiles are going to offer up to God. And and in particular, I think the offering he has in view is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. So I think Paul is saying here, I'm I'm communicating the gospel. I'm serving as this mediator between God and man, like a priest, communicating the gospel to these people who have never heard it so that they can offer themselves as living sacrifices, which is what they were made to do. So that the offering of the Gentiles may may be acceptable. This is language that's like what we have there in Romans 12, verse 1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. This wonderful confidence from the Apostle Paul. Confidence that when he proclaims the gospel, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And the Holy Spirit's going to give life. And the Holy Spirit is going to make it so that this life-changing good news does its work and makes it so that these people who were full of all unrighteousness are going to be full of goodness because of the life-changing power of the gospel. Yesterday, I was at a cross-country meet and I was talking with one of the other dads, and it, uh, I began to suspect that I was I was talking because of different you know different things people say. I'm, I'm starting to get the get wind that this guy maybe is a Roman Catholic. And so I, I asked him, what church do you go to? And he, he told me the Roman Catholic church he goes to. And I said, so as a Roman Catholic, if I were to say to you, what must I do to be saved? What would you say? The guy hadn't. You know what his answer was? I would tell you to go read the catechism. I'm like, the catechism? He goes, yeah. He goes, you can get a paperback copy of the Roman Catholic, the catechism of the Catholic church. You can get one of those. It's really clear in there. And I'm like, you know what? I have a copy of that. It's a big, thick book. That's what I must do to be saved? And he was like, well, it, you know, and, and I said, well, you know, I, I'm an evangelical. I was really just interested in what you were saying. And then I proceeded to share the gospel with him. I said, you know, as an evangelical, what I would tell you is that God is holy and righteous and just. And we're sinners. And that means we're guilty before him. And, and we have no way of making ourselves right Before him, but in his mercy and love, he sent the Lord Jesus who lived the righteous life that we should have lived and failed to live and then died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And the Bible teaches that that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, saved from the wrath of God against your sin so that if you confess you see, I'm quoting scripture here. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. As an evangelical, that's what I think you must do to be saved. You, you understand the gospel and then you obey the words of, of scripture, believing. So the key thing is faith in Christ. Now, he proceeded to tell me, and this is what he said, I will never leave the Roman Catholic Church. You know what I was thinking? We'll see about that. We'll see how that works out. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. If, if, if the Spirit gives him life, and if he comes to a place where what he wants is to know God and to understand the Scriptures and to live in accordance with the Scriptures, I'm pretty confident the Spirit will bring him out of the Roman Catholic Church, whatever his objections may be. But I don't have to go into all that in that conversation. I want to share the gospel I want to be a friend. I want to invite him here. And on this note, notice how here, what Paul is talking about in Romans 15, 16 is really evangelism and discipleship, isn't it? Evangelism, verse 15, he's, he's serving as a, at the beginning of verse 15, as a minister of Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel discipleship so that what they want to do is offer their bodies as a living sacrifice. And, and with that, I owe a, a massive thank you to everybody that, that worked so hard last Sunday night to make that event amazing. And I am so grateful for the people that made, made this place look really cool and for the, for the people that invited unbelievers here, for the people that, that did everything they could to make this a welcoming environment and to make that event go smoothly, for the people that stayed afterward and cleaned up and maybe came the next day. And this, There's so much that went into that, and I am so grateful to all of you. And let me encourage you, too, to follow up. With those that you invited, those who were here, those who heard the gospel, follow up with them, invite them to read the Bible with you, invite them to come here. Let's press on. People are not gonna, they're not gonna convert overnight immediately. It's gonna have, it's gonna require uh, building a relationship with them and continuing to, to encourage them and, and walk with them. So we want to trust God regarding other Christians, verse 14. We want to do our job, verse 15. And then we want to live out Romans 12:1 and 2, pursuing evangelism and discipleship, offering ourselves as living sacrifices, uh, verse 16. And that brings us to verse 17, where Paul says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, which is not something you expect to read in the Bible, right? Pride is this this primal sin. We're not supposed to feel proud, but look at what Paul says. I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. So this is another one of those cases where Paul is saying, I'm boasting in Christ. His pride is not based on anything he's done. His pride is based on what Christ has done through him. That's what he feels pride about. So we can see here that this great commission from the Lord Jesus, is de- de- it's determining Paul's boast in verse 17. It's determining his sense of pride. It's also informing his standards, verse 18. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. And then it's also the great commission is determining his purpose. His purpose there in verse 18 to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. And and that bringing the Gentiles to obedience, this is what we read about back in chapter 1 when he speaks in verse 5 about how he's received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So I think he's talking about the obedience of faith again here. An obedience that arises because people trust God. And then it, you see that dash in the middle of verse 18 there. And he goes into these, these different ways that God has worked in him to bring about Christ accomplishing these things by word and deed. Uh, I think Paul is saying, I preach the gospel and I do acts of loving kindness. If, if I need to, I'll be a tent maker. If I need to, I'll... I'll I'll get stoned in the morning and I'll get up in the afternoon and walk to the next place. If I need to, not stoned, I mean they threw rocks at him, right? (laughs) If I need to, if I need to, you know, the Apostle Paul, the estimates are that he traveled something like 10,000 miles, mostly on foot. If I need to, I'll get shipwrecked and, and have to swim to shore, hanging on to a piece of the boat. What? By word and deed. And then he goes on by the power of signs and wonders. And just read the book of Acts about the different things that happened. He got bit by a viper and everybody expected him to die and he didn't die. God God did signs and wonders in his life. By the power of the spirit of God. It's the spirit of God that makes people alive. It's the Spirit of God that makes it so that somebody is rejecting the gospel, and then they come to the place where they're like, no, this is true, and Jesus is the Savior, and I've got to believe in Him. And as a result, here in verse 19, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. If you're familiar with the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea, you know that as you move to the west toward Rome, Rome comes down like that boot, and that strip of, of ground, that, that land is like Croatia and those kinds of places today, the Balkan, those, the Balkan states, that place, before you get to Italy, as you move in that direction, that's where Illyricum would have been. So it's like Paul is saying, look, we started this thing from, from Jerusalem, and we've, we've brought it all the way up to, the, to where the boot starts down into Italy, and I'm trying to get to you, And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to go on further to Spain because the purpose is to take the gospel mission and the gospel message to the places where Christ has not been named. From Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. When he says here that he has fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, I think what he means is I've established churches. He didn't just go preach the gospel and move on. No, he preached the gospel. He baptized those that believed. And then he starts preaching the word to them, teaching the word to them, instructing them what they need to know. And and then as they get churches planted, we can read about in in the book of Acts how they, they come back to those places and they put elders in every church. And then you keep reading and you start learning about these deacons. And he's listing out qualifications for the elders and qualifications for the deacons. And he's giving them all kinds of instructions about, about uh, how they should live and, and how they should relate to one another. It, it's, it's, we could say, the whole counsel of God that he's, he's helping these churches to know. And I think that's what he means when he says, I have fulfilled I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I think he means there are healthy churches established from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum and reaching down into Italy at Rome. He's talking about the life change that comes from the gospel and then the family building that happens in the church. <clears throat> another one of those occasions when I cannot read my own handwriting <laughs> um, evidently it's unimportant verse 20 Paul says and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named lest I build on someone else's foundation I think Paul's reflecting on the fact that hell is never going to end that if we're talking about the infinite righteousness of God, we're talking about an infinite amount of suffering that is going to have to be undergone by those who never heard the name of the Lord Jesus. And that makes him ambitious. Paul is ambitious because he doesn't want anyone to have to stand before God without the knowledge of Christ. And I would just ask you what you're ambitious for this morning. Are you ambitious for the gospel? Do you feel this urgency? It doesn't mean that you need to start applying for the IMB. It might mean that. The Lord might be calling you to that. You might recognize there's nothing more important for me than to invest my life in the souls of people because the only things that are gonna last forever are the word of God and human beings. You might, you might be drawn to that conclusion. That's a good conclusion to draw. I want you to go there, yeah. But it might also mean that you need to be faithful at the, at the vocation that God has given to you and then, and then you need to pursue that vocation as an opportunity. To speak the gospel to those who have never heard. You know there are people here here in Louisville. I guarantee you, if you if you regularly share the gospel, and then you get done and you say to somebody, "Have you ever heard what I just told you?" Has anyone ever explained what I just communicated to you before? I guarantee you, you will talk to people who will look at you and they will say, "Nobody has ever taken the time to walk through the steps of it like you just did." Now, I have. I I promise you, you will talk to people who have never heard the gospel, if you talk to people about the gospel. So the Lord the Lord may want you to be the missionary in your place of service, in your place of secular employment. And, and feeling this urgency, feeling this urgency, I, I think, should compel us to pursue our, our personal spiritual disciplines. We want to read the word, we want to pray, we want to be faithful at the church. We want to love our brothers and sisters and we want to love the people that don't know Jesus. And then we should be faithful to cultivate the the discipline of sharing the gospel with people looking for opportunities to communicate the gospel. George Whitfield had a conviction that if he was with an, if he was with a person for 15 minutes, he felt it was incumbent upon him to try to get that conversation to the gospel. If he was going to be with somebody for 15 minutes or more, and then I want to urge you to continue to invite people here to participate in the life of the body. We, I hope we're going to have another one of these we, details are forthcoming. We are, Lord willing, we are going to have another one of these Sunday night events. And, and we want to sow the seed. And we want to water the seed. And we want to, we want to pray that God will give the growth. Paul says, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And then in the passage that we're going to look at next, not not today, but in a a coming Sunday, he's going to talk to the church in Rome about how they can be involved in helping him to get to the unreached, how they can be involved in helping get him to Spain. Paul expects the church at Rome to help him get to the unreached, and I think it's Fair to say, Paul expects the church at Kenwood to be about, about the great task of seeing that the gospel goes to the unreached. Maybe, maybe some of you here will go to the unreached. The rest of us are going to be doing everything else that we've talked about here. Going, maybe on short-term trips, sending, supporting, and then inviting the unreached who are among us here in Louisville. And then look at Paul's confidence in Verse 21. He is so sure that Christians are going to obey Jesus that he can quote the Old Testament as the foundation for the Great Commission and say, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see. Now, I think in one way, he knows that as the gospel is proclaimed, there are going to be people whose eyes are opened. But in another way, he knows, as these Christians in Rome hear this verse, they're going to get on board with the mission. And they're going to know, yeah, those who have never been told, they're going to need to be shown the Lord Jesus. And those who have never heard will understand. The gospel is going to bear fruit, and Christians are going to obey the Great Commission. I think that's the confidence that we see, Paul quoting Isaiah 52 there. Recently I was listening to a sermon by Rico Tice, and he talked about, how somebody said to him at a funeral, he was, he was preaching this funeral and someone came up to him and said, failure is succeeding at the wrong things. This is a person who had died, who had had a hugely successful life, and they didn't know God. And this, this believer's response to that person's life was failure is succeeding at the wrong things. And I know I'm past 12 o'clock, but I just want to give you an illustration of this, okay? From the Belichick books, sorry. (laughs) Anybody ever heard of Drew Henson? Some of you have. Some of you from Michigan will have heard of Drew Henson. You know who Drew Henson was? Drew Henson was this phenomenal athlete, two-sport athlete, football, baseball, who was at the University of Michigan at the same time as Tom Brady. And the state of Michigan thought that Drew Henson should be the starting quarterback. They wanted, they wanted Drew Henson starting over Tom Brady because he was
1: clearly
0: athletically superior to Tom Brady. Anybody ever heard of Tom Brady? <laughs> you, you know, Drew Henson, he didn't pick a sport. He, didn't, he, he tried to play both football and baseball. And you could say, in a sense, he succeeded. He played like five major league games. He started one NFL football game. I mean, if you put that next to Tom Brady... I mean, 20 years in the league, what is it, six championships? And everybody knows his name. I mean, not that that's what we're living for, but you see what I'm saying. I think Drew Henson, if you just measure him on athletic terms, he didn't pick a sport, either baseball or football. He didn't cultivate leadership, and he didn't, he didn't put the team first the way that Tom Brady did. And he never became an NFL starter, and he didn't, he didn't stick in the big leagues. We want to succeed at the big job given to us by the Lord Jesus. We want to succeed at the right things. We don't want the failure of succeeding at the wrong things. Let's pray together. Father, we don't want to be just a nice place that's friendly with great facilities. We don't want to have a great reputation in the community because we help people in different ways. Lord, we want to be able to say with the apostle Paul that we have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel. Lord, we want to be a church that yes, has pastors go out across the country and yes, has missionaries go around the world for long-term service. And yes, that supports those people because we love them, because we understand the urgency and importance of their work. And Lord, we want to be a church that faithfully communicates the gospel to our own children. And we want our kids, Lord, to see that you are what matters most to us and that we would give everything for your cause. So Lord, we pray that you would Keep us from succeeding at the wrong things. Keep us from being worldly in our estimation. Enable us to say with the Apostle Paul that we will boast in what Christ has accomplished through us. And we will feel a godly pride in the the power of the gospel that we've had the privilege to see at work among us. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the joy of being a part of Kenwood Baptist Church at Victory Memorial. And Lord, we thank you for those who have gone out from us. We pray that you'd help us to love them well. We thank you for the opportunities before many of us to go in the near future. We pray that you'd help us to keep our eye on the ball to understand the importance of what's at stake. And Lord, we pray that that every time we We pray for one of these missionaries, you'd strengthen them, that you'd answer our prayers and that you'd make us good friends to them, that we would communicate our ongoing concern for them. Lord, we love you and we wanna see your name exalted and we long to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray all this in the name of the Lord Jesus, amen.